a family come together to help children. And that's a very powerful thing to see and be a part of. And this morning is uh, Easter Sunday. This is the day that uh, Jesus resurrected from the dead. And typically I would give you a lesson about that happening. But I actually changed my lesson during the middle of the week. It happens to ministers all the time. I'm just thinking, God, it didn't happen, happen last night. But uh, I felt like God was putting something more on my heart. More of a message that's on his heart to tell us. And it's the parable of the two sons. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, please look on with someone so you can follow along. Tony, if we can increase the light just a little bit for them to look at their Bibles. Maybe we're already at maximum capacity. And for many years, this account in Luke 15 has been labeled the prodigal son. As we know the story, he goes off and uh, he comes back. But the Bible never calls him the prodigal son. Jesus in uh, verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then he begins this parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And then in verse 11, he says, There was a, there was a man who had two sons. And this is that parable. The parable, not of the prodigal son, but of two sons. And this can, this can really cause pause because... For so many years, we thought it was just the prodigal son. And we can miss the real message of the story. That each of these brothers represents two different ways in their relationship with the father. And that's the setting. The the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were watching Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And they said to themselves, hmm, that doesn't look right. He must be telling them something they want to hear that's not very truthful because they're not at our church service. What could he be telling them? It must be false. He must be telling them what their itching ears want to hear. You know, the setting here is that these groups of people, the sinners and the Pharisees, are listening to Jesus. You know, the tax collector and the sinners in this parable... They correspond to the younger son, as we're going to read. They neither observe the moral law of the Bible, nor did they observe the rules for for purity. They engaged in wild living. They They left the home by leaving the traditional morality of the family. That's the sinners and tax collectors. The second group are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They represent the older brother, the elder brother. They held to the traditional values of their upbringing. They studied and they observed the Bible. They worshipped and they prayed constantly. And this group of Pharisees, they are upset that Jesus would sit down and welcome sinners that don't. And in the ancient Near East, if you sat down with someone, that meant you accepted them. How could he? How could Jesus do that? And so this parable is directed at that group who are muttering about Jesus sitting down with sinners. 
And this parable takes an extended look at the second older elder brother. And his hearts and looks right into the soul of who he is. And then it ends with a climactic scene of, dr- of dramatic proportions where the father is pleading with that son. And the, it's a typical story of the older and younger brother. How many here you were the younger brother? How many here were the firstborn? As a general rule, the firstborns like to please their parents. My general rule, and that's not always the case, but in my family, my brother Danny, he was the, he was the good guy. And I hated him for being the good guy. Why you got to be so good? What's the matter with you? Drink a little alcohol or something. Do something. And he'd always follow the rules. And as a younger brother, I was like, I'm not following these rules. I'm not living that way. So I became the younger son. I was the, the one that went against all the morality that our parents were trying to teach us. And they were good examples. My dad never smoked. He drunk quite a bit, but he, you know, he wasn't you know, totally crazy. And so even though they had somewhat of a good example, I still rebelled against that morality. And so this is the story of the older and the younger. And the crucial point here is that in, generally, in general, religious observance of, uh, that people have toward God, uh, they were offended by Jesus. They were offended that he would talk to people that had no inclination of being spiritual. So we know this because in Luke chapter 7, Jesus forgives the sinful sexual woman. We know in John 3 and chapter 4 that uh, Nicodemus was a religious person. And also in John 4, there was a woman by the well, and she was a religious outcast. She was a Samaritan. He spends time with her. We know in Luke 19, he went to Zacchaeus' house and had dinner, and Zacchaeus changed. We know that story as well. So Jesus is saying to the respectable religious leaders that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom before you, Matthew 21. And that offended them. How could they make it and not us? So let's read the parable of the two sons. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Give me my share of the estates. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got all he had together and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. Let's just stop there for a second and just take a look at the request of the younger son. You don't get an inheritance until the father is dead. He's asking the father, and if you were, he was raised in a Jewish home, so the firstborn, if there's two sons, the firstborn automatically gets two-thirds of the estate, and the secondborn gets one-third. And he's asking for his third. He says, give it to me. But he asked for it now, and he wasn't respectful about it. And what he's saying is that he wants the father's things and not the relationship with the father. That's what he's saying in essence. I want what you have, not you. Isn't that what we want today? I want a nice car. I want a home. I want happy children. I don't need you. Give me these things. That's what he's saying. If you're a teenager, I want Xbox. 
I want that little game you hold in your hand that Gio doesn't know the name of. I want these things. I don't need you. I want this. That's what he's saying. I want the things of the Father. Just I don't want the Father himself. The means to the end is that he enjoys his wealth, his Father's wealth. You know, the Father's response is startling. Because we know in Leviticus 20, verse 9, that if a son curses his father, the Bible says, you stone him to death. In other words, you don't put up with that. We don't stone in the New Testament, amen? But the, but the principle there is, we don't play that, right? But the father's response is startling. He gives them what he's asking for. He gives the son his share of the inheritance that he did not earn. The word property here in the Bible is the Greek word for bios. And the word bios means life. The father gave a third of himself to his son, and that's all the son wanted. He didn't want a relationship with his dad. He just wanted the things of his dad. And normally, when our love is rejected, well, how do we respond? Well, we get angry, don't we? We retaliate. We do what we can do to diminish our affection for the person rejecting us. We get cold and we get distance. So we won't hurt as much. But the father maintains his affection. Look at verse 13. He squanders the wealth in wild living. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Verse 20. But while, he, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 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 bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ringer on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a scene. The younger son comes in the sights of the father's house, his manor, his estate. And the father sees him, and he runs to him. Now, as a general rule, distinguished Middle Eastern patriarchs don't run. Kids run. Women may run. Young men will run. But you won't catch a patriarch lifting up his robe, showing his legs running after somebody. That just doesn't happen. Notice the father's response. He's so excited 
that he's willing to embarrass himself to be with his son. He's willing to shame himself and be with his son. The younger son tries to, plan, you know, he tries to recite his restitution. Dad, dad, I sinned against you. And the father interrupts his rehearsed speech. And he contradicts it by saying, give him the best robe. Put it on my son. What's he saying? The best robe in the house is the father's robe. He has the best. The unmistakable sign of a, of a restored standing in the family. The father's saying, I'm not going to wait until you pay off your debts. I'm not going to wait until you've groveled enough. You're not going to earn your way back into this family. I'm simply going to take you back. You know, so many times we want to earn our way into God's love. Don't we? And God doesn't want you to earn it. He wants to give it. That's what breaks the human heart. That's what breaks Leslie's heart. When she had no hope, here was God giving hope. There's no way she could have paid back the debt she owed God. But God was willing to give hope. But that is our nature, isn't it? We want, we want to make things right. And look what the dad does. He demands a feast. Now, we think the fattened calf, we're like, oh, that's great. In the Middle East, that's not what they ate. Their main food was fish and bread. They didn't eat meat. And not just, not just a calf, but yeah, they got the fattened calf. You ever go to Vaughn's and see the round table cut, the skinny thing going? And then you go look in the hills, oh, there's a ribeye. Fattened calf, ribeye, regular calf. And then there's a the fish section, which no one goes to. Oh, there's fish. I'm allergic. The father goes beyond just having a dinner. He goes beyond just having a delicacy of meat. He goes, this is a ribeye. And that only happened on super special occasions. And this was one of them. His son was lost and has come back. And he didn't let his son earn his way in. And he restores them, not as a hired hand. But we think we would be, but he restores them into the family. There's music, and there's dancing. And this parable reminds me of the audience. Remember he's talking to you? He's talking to the, to the Pharisees who are upset about Jesus, welcoming in the sinners and tax. Don't forget who he's talking to. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are the sinners, and we are the tax collectors. Is Isn't that true? That's who we are. And this part of the parable challenges the mindset of the older brother and gives him a startling message. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. There is nothing that you can do that scares God away. But that is our excuse sometimes for not going back to God. We self-loathe. Oh, God, just, no, no, I've, I've done too much. It's better for me to stay prodigal. It's better for me to stay outside of the family because, you know, I just can't face God because of what I've done. 
And now let's look at the older brother. Look in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You know, when he comes into the field, this brother notices that the, his younger brother, his derelictic brother, has been reinstated by his father, and he's furious. And now we see in the story, it's his turn to disgrace the father. He doesn't go in. He hears the party, looks inside, doesn't it? Sorry, Father, my vote is of no confidence. I'm not entering the party. And the father has to come outside of the party, from inside to outside, and he comes in. And in verse 28, look what he says. His father went out, and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me not even, a young, not even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when the son, but this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? You know, what's he whining about? He's upset about what, what it's costing them. You never even gave me a goat. You give this son a calf? What the father did by bringing the younger son back into the family was this. He didn't bring him back for him to be a, a hired hand. He, he reinstated him into the family. And guess what that means? He gets another inheritance. And the older brother's going like, that doesn't add up. He took a third, squandered it, came back. Now there's two-thirds. Now I only get one. I get two-thirds of my two-thirds? And you buy this fattened calf and throw a party? I never disobeyed you. He's furious. He's angry. Because he's adding things up. I've been slaving for you. And I earned what I got. But my younger brother has done nothing to earn anything. What he's earned is expulsion. That's the heart of the elder brother. Where's the justice in that? That's why this person, the elder brother, he always refers to his record. I never disobeyed you, so I have rights. This leads him to insult his own dad, the father, God. Look! Look! This is outrageous behavior! How will the father respond to his son's open rebelliousness? As a patriarch, the father could have said, no, I'm going to disown you now. You have a bad attitude. Who are you to challenge my grace and my authority? Look what the, son, look what the father says in verse 31. My son, said the father, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father begins with a plea, my son, despite how you insulted me, I want you in the feast. I'm not going to disown your brother and I'm not going to disown you. 
I want to challenge you to swallow your pride and come into the feast. And he says to his son, the choice is yours. Will you or won't you? It's an unexpected, gracious, dramatic appeal by God, who is the father in the story. And the listeners are on the edge. If you're hearing the story, you're going, how's it going to end? Will the fan be reunited in love? Where's the popcorn? I mean, you're, on, I mean, you're sitting there going, how does it end? Will the elder brother soften his heart and, and be reconciled to his brother? I mean, these are the things you're thinking when you're hearing the story. But the story ends there. Jesus ends the story. And we don't know what the elder son does. Remember the audience. The audience is the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners. Remember the story. What's the message? What's the parable trying to teach us? There's two ways that people try to find happiness. One is they morally conform to the culture, to society, to their upbringing. And the other one gives way to self-discovery. That's the younger son. I'm going to find what life's really about, right? Each of them act as a lens coloring on how they see life. Each is a way of finding their personal significance and worth and how they determine right and wrong. The elder brother illustrates this, moral conformity. He feels he's chosen by God. He's going to maintain his place by following and obeying the Bible. We fall, yes, but we are judging by how intense our regret is when we fail. We only attain happiness in a world made right through being upright. And the younger brother illustrates self-discovery. He wants to pursue his goals freely. Self-actualization. He wants no custom. He wants no, no code. He wants to live his own way. He rejects the traditions. He, he rejects hierarchy. He rejects authority. And he rejects any barriers to freedom. He just rejects it. I want to see what life is like on my own. I know, Dad, that you're a Christian, but I want to experience it for myself, what it's really like out there. You ever hear that in church? I want to experience it. Because they're searching for happiness. That's one way. The other way is just being, if I obey, everything's going to turn out right. If I just follow God and his rules, nothing bad will ever happen to me. I'm going to play by the rules. That's my brother Danny. Gio's like, what rules? I hate those rules. Why are those rules there? I'm going to break them. How far can I go? I want to be free. The clash of two. I'm not going to do what I want to do, but that what tradition and community wants me to do. That's the older brother. The love of the prostitutes is saved, but the man of moral uprightness is still lost. For the Pharisee, it's a complete reversal of the story. The lost son gets in the party. <laughs> I can't believe it. And the other brother's like, what is going on? I, I followed the rules, Dad. <laughs> I followed the rules. What is this guy? How is he getting into the party? The elder brother is not losing the father's love. 
in spite of his goodness, but because of it. It's not his sin that creates the barrier between him and his father. It's the pride in his moral record. That's what's stopping him from going in. You'd think that this would be an awesome thing for a dad to accept his son, but it's not. How could this be? Because the problem lies in the hearts of each son. The problem and the answer is this. Both their hearts are wrong. The younger is wrong because he rebelled against the family tradition. But how did he do that? The younger son rebelled at having to partake of his family assets under his father's supervision. He wanted to make his own decisions. He wanted unfettered control of his life. And he got that by making a bold power play. Give me what I want. Don't we see that a lot? <laughs> I want to... Uh, eh. Don't we see that a lot? Some of us were like that kid, huh? I'm going to cry, hold my breath. <laughs> As an older person, this person was defiant. Give me the dough. Give me the bread. Give me the Benjamins. Give me the smackers. Give me the scratch. Give me the greenbacks. Give me the moolah. Give me the cheddar. Give me the skrilla. Give me the simoleons. Right? He wanted the money. He wanted the things of the father. Because he thought, if I, if I just can have it, it's going to make me happy. If I just have sex before marriage, then I'll know if I really love you. If I take drugs and experiment, it's going to open my eyes to new things and I'll learn more. It's all about trying to get happiness. But the younger son is driving himself away from the father as he does that. And we think, yes, it's obvious, I see that. But the older brother, he wants the same thing. He wants the father's money. He wants his wealth too. But he's going about it in a different way. He's resentful of the father because of the younger. He wanted the father's goods rather than God himself, the father himself. The younger went off and, and the elder stayed close. And the elder never obeyed. This was his way to get control. It was an unspoken demand. I have never disobeyed you. He was upset because he had to give up his inheritance again. He wanted the things of the father. He didn't want the father himself. Now you have to do things in life the way I want them to be done, he's telling the father. Now you have to do what I want you to do. How could you do this? That became the hearts. But the hearts of the two brothers are exactly the same. They both resented the father's authority. And they sought to get out from under it. One did by running, the other did by staying and looking obedient. Hmm. Do you realize what he's teaching here? Neither of the son really loved the father. They just love what this father could give them. One just wanted it by a bold power play. The other was, I'm just going to stay a little close and I'll get what's mine. Right? They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving and enjoying and serving the father for their own sake. That means you can rebel against God and be alienated from him by either breaking his commands or by keeping them all diligently the elder brother was angry with his father why 
He feels he had a right to tell his father how the robes, the rings, the livestock of the family should be deployed. Because in a religious community, religious people, they live very moral lives. But their goal is to get leverage over God. Their goal is to control him, to put him in a position where they think he owes them. This is, in fact, rebelling against God. Do you believe you work, you work hard to obey him and you're a good person? Do you believe you worked hard and do you obey God because you want to be a good person? But then Jesus may be your helper. He may be your example, even your inspiration. But he's not your savior because you're serving your own savior. Let me tell you a story about the story of Amadeus, the piano player. It was a play. And in the play of Amadeus, there was a man named Solari. And Solari wasn't, wasn't talented, but he asked God, God, if you make me talented, if you give me the ability to play the piano and make me one of the greatest pianists of all time, I will serve you and love you and obey you and help the elderly, I'll help the poor. And that's exactly what he got. He became one of the greatest pianos of his day. And he was helping, he was serving people, he was fulfilling what he, the agreement he made God. And then, along came Amadeus. A moral, a drunkard, a man who paroused and caroused and slept with all kinds of women, had did not even consider God to follow him, was greater than Solari himself. And Solari looked at Amadeus, he says, how could this be? Here I am, helping the poor helping the elderly. I asked you to make me the great, and here is this man. Isn't that the parable of the two sons? And so, and so Solari decides to kill Amadeus. He wasn't serving God. He was serving himself. And it only is exposed when things don't go our way. That's when the heart comes out. And Solari, he was doing it for fame. He was doing it for self-interest. He wasn't doing it just for the sake of doing it for, to help the poor. Let me give you some signs of an older brother. You know, and I feel for myself, I, I was the younger, but I've been a Christian 17 years now, and sometimes I feel like I'm the older brother now. Yeah. I went from like, yes, this cross is awesome. Oh, yeah, I'm totally lost. I need God. I got to go back. Then I, then I come back home, back in the party, back in the party. Hey, hey, yeah, yeah, how's it going? Hey, what's he doing at the party? What's going on here? You know, you can slide right into the older brother mode so easily. The first sign that you're an older brother, have that spirit, is when your life doesn't go as you want. And you're sorrowful, but you're deeply angry. And you're deeply bitter. It's the first sign. When things go wrong, for example... Hey, you bring your kids to church. Why aren't they Christians? <sighs> Something's wrong here. Hey, I'm helping, serving, man. Where's my thank you? I come early to church. I set up, man. Where's, where's the, where? You guys, are, you guys are ungrateful. I do the robes. I count the money. I spend hours. You guys are at lunch, and I'm here counting the dough over here. You know, I have no dates. I, I'm alone. That's the first sign. The second sign is their inability to handle suffering because the fact is their moral observance is result-oriented. The good life is not lived for the, delicate, for, I mean, for the delight in good deeds himself. 
but as a calculated way to control their environment. They don't do it just to do it. There's a story in the Apocrypha. That's not in the Bible. There's a story about Jesus and the apostles. And Jesus says to the apostles, hey, uh, pick up a stone. And so Peter goes, he doesn't say what size of stone. And he picks up a little pebble. Yeah, puts it in his pocket. And they start, and they start going on this little long, long walk. And it's about lunchtime, and they stand by a river. And Peter, and Peter and the apostles sit down with Jesus. And Jesus, okay, where are your stones at? They all pull it out, and Jesus turns them all into bread. And then it goes, it's lunchtime. And Peter goes, Oh, man. So I get, get up and grab a stone again. And so this time Peter grabs like a heavy stone. He's like, ah. and they go on a longer walk this time. And they're walking a long time. And they come to the river. He's like, my dinner is going to be so awesome. It's going to be an awesome dinner. And they get to the river. And they sit down. He says, sit down. Okay, now throw your stones in the water. And Peter goes, what? And Peter's upset. But Jesus asked Peter, who are you carrying the stone for? For yourself or for me? And that's how we can be the older brother. I've done everything. I've obeyed you. Why hasn't my life turned out the way I've charted it out to be or I expected it to be? Why is my life complicated and have challenges? Why, am I, why is my spouse still not humble? Right? Why? Well, who are you carrying the stone for? For the Lord, or are you doing it to get something out of it? Are you obeying God to get something out of it? You see, the elder brother was just like the younger brother. He wanted the goods. He was just more sneaky about it. He just looked the part. He acted the part. But when he didn't get what he wanted, oh boy, there's the anger. There's, the, there's where it comes out. And I think we as Christians struggle with him more. We struggle with that more. We start complaining. We start, start complaining. We start telling stories like ah, unhappiness, right? The third thing, the third sign of the elder brother is this. They have a strong sense that they're superior. Because they point to their moral record. I obeyed you in everything. It's based on self-image, hard work, morality. They're smart. I'm savvy. And it creates a, an attitude of I'm better than you. The Pharisees, why is he talking to them? Superiority. Four, they have an unforgiving and judgmental spirits. They cannot pardon people who just don't have it together. They just can't bear the sight of it. They can't forgive the younger brother for the way he's disgraced the name of the Christian faith. They can't. It's impossible to forgive someone when you feel you're superior to them. You ever find yourself having a hard time saying you're sorry? Ask yourself, do I feel better than them? That's when I struggle the most. I'm right and you're wrong. So you apologize first. Right? When you apologize, I'll be humble. It's just a superiority complex. We're the elder brother. Because right when you start having this attitude of I'm right, you're wrong, guess who's wrong? You're both wrong. And that's the story that Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees. 
The fifth, the fifth sign of, a, of, a, of the elder brother is this. They lack joy because their compliance is based on fear. They obey God because they're, they're, they're fearful of God. They're only moral for their own benefit. You know, there's a story about a farmer who has a small garden, but he grows his carrot, and it's the best carrot he's ever grown. It's an amazing, huge carrot. And he goes, man, this is amazing. I'm going to go give this to the king because I love him. He's amazing. So he carries the carrot, and he goes to the king, and the king sits there, and he sees the farmer come in, and he looks at the farmer and goes, hmm. and the king is very discerning. He goes, thank you for the carrot. You can have this estate over here so you can have a bigger garden and you can help more people. And then one of the nobles overheard it going, if that's what he got for a carrot, I wonder what I'll get for a stallion. So he goes to the stable and gets one of his best, best stallions. And he comes to the king. <coughs> king, I have my best stallion and I just wanted to give it to you. And the king looks at him and goes, knowing, discerning his heart. Thank you, put it right over there. Good day. And the nobles, man, is, and the nobleman is shocked. The king said to the, to, the no, to the nobleman, the farmer was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. He was only doing it because he wanted something out of it. And I think if we're not careful in Christianity, we do things because we expect God to meet our every prayer's and demands. And we get upset when God doesn't answer those prayers. And this older son comes out in us. Well, I've been obeying your rules. Yeah. And we have this attitude toward God. And it's rebellion toward God. It's just like the younger son, but different. No parties. And the gospel, and the beauty of the gospel is that it's different. It's a different idea. It says this. In, in the Bible's view, what the story is telling us is that everyone's wrong. The son is wrong. The older son is wrong, and so is the younger son. But everyone is loved. God loved the younger son and took him in, and God loved the older son. He says, come into the feast with me. Come on, son. But he tells the story because he wants you to recognize that. He wants you to recognize that you're either the younger brother or you're the older son, and he wants you to change your hearts. He wants you to stop coming to church because you want something out of it. He wants you to, start, to, to knock it off. Don't come to church because you want to have a better marriage, because you want to have good kids, because you want to look the part, smell the part, feel the part. Don't come, he says. Don't. Come for me. Come just to be with me, to enjoy the Father. And a lot of us, we come in as a prodigal son to church because we've been crazy for our first teenage years. Then we become, I'm in, I'm, I'm so grateful. I got baptized. This is amazing. And then you see your heart get changing, like me, going, oh, I know the Bible now. I follow your rules. I I'm training my child in the way he should go. Why is he straying? God, you, you said, you said, you said, if I do. In the bigger scope, God sees all things. All we see is this. Why'd you lose your job? I don't know. God's trying to, you know, the, the elder brother has this problem. With, if something goes wrong, he thinks it's because he's not righteous enough. 
Like if something goes wrong, it's because I wasn't doing this. I wasn't sharing enough. Or I wasn't doing this. Or I, oh my gosh, I yelled at Karen this morning. Oh, yeah. We start going into panic, God, because it's based on our, how, we, how, we, how we stack up. And so that there is the story and the essence of the parable. The elder son's temptation is good people like us and bad people are the real problem. The younger son's temptation is, no, you're not open-minded, you're not tolerant, and you're bigoted, and you're narrow-minded, and you're the real problem in the world. And Luke 18 says, the humble are in and the proud are out. The people who say they are not good or open-minded are, moving, are, are, are not moving toward God. Because the prerequisite to know God is to know you need him. And both sons didn't realize they needed God. They just wanted what God could offer them. The I'm fine crowd, thank you very much, are moving away from God. The humble are in and the proud are out. In verse 31, God makes his appeal. He says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. Will you go into the feast? Whether you're a younger son sitting here today or whether you're an older son, God the Father says you're both wrong and he still wants you to come into the feast. Enjoy your afternoon. Thank you very much. Yeah. <clears throat>